May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you grew up as a Christian, the Lord's Prayer might be so familiar that it has lost its power. If you did not grow up as a Christian, it's really strange. (laughs) The words are very strange. Our Father who art in heaven, as most of the more familiar version has. Why do we say art is a verb? Hallowed be your name. Again, for people who are familiar with it, it's very easy. You just wrote and go through it. Someone, we do our prayer, we repeat it over and over again. I do it by rote with, with my kids to try and remember the Lord's prayer. But it becomes so familiar, it's hard for us to realize how strange the words are. And strange does not mean bad. Sometimes strange is something to see in a fresh way. And the problem with something too familiar is that it no longer has the power to change us when we expect the same thing over and over again. Sometimes, though, with the problem with something strange is it's, it's so different, it's hard to take it seriously. Well, my friends, for this season of Lent, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to slowly look through and read this prayer Jesus taught to his disciples. These familiar or unfamiliar words are really a radical call to seek God in this world and to understand God's vision for ourselves and for those around us. They are a great claim of faith. And today we start with that first line, our Father in heaven, holy be your name, sanctified be your name, hallowed be your name. But for us to go deeper into the Lord's Prayer, we need to start with the name of God, the location of God, and what it means to make God's name holy. We start with the words that Jesus uses, our Father. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words that Jesus tells his disciples to pray. In other places in the scriptures, he says, Lord, but most of the time he says, Father, when he's praying to God. And now there there is some controversy in different different circles about the gendered language in the Bible, but I don't think the argument comes close to this language that Jesus uses of God the Father. Jesus uses Father when he's talking, teaches his disciples to pray. But the important thing is because the word Father is about a relationship. It's not about a genetic or sexual connection between God the Father and Jesus. Most pagan religions have gods whose sexual activity is a part of their identity, especially the immediate neighbors of the Jews. The Greek pantheon, the Sumerian pantheon, were full of highly sexualized deities. This is not the case with Christianity or Judaism. In the prophet Isaiah especially, God is referred to as Father, but throughout most of the the rest of the, the Old Testament, God is transcendently distant from humanity. Jesus consistently calling God the Father in prayer is one of the the stronger breaks he makes with the former practices of Judaism. The name of God is super important for the Jewish faith. It is something that is not said. You don't say the name of God. There's a name in Hebrew. I, I just call it the four letters. Sometimes it's referred to as the tetragrammaton. Sometimes in English, it's pronounced as Yahweh or Jehovah. It's where the word Jehovah comes from, is from the King James version of it. But you'd never speak it in a Jewish context. It's very um, offensive in the kind of way. And so it's, it's a good thing to know if you're ever like reading the Bible with, with a Jewish friend, not to say Yahweh or pronounce it. When, when Jews pray to God, they would say, instead of Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which means Lord. 
And so that would be in, in synagogue, at temple, at a time to pray in this kind of, at Passover, you would say Adonai. But if you were like just talking to some buddies at the bar about what God is doing in your life, you wouldn't say Adonai, you'd say Hashem, the name. And so Hashem means the name. And everybody would know, everybody knows what the name is. That you don't even need to go beyond saying Hashem. Jesus calls God Father based on a generative relationship that Jesus, the Son of God, has to God the Father, as well as a generative relationship we have to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's the power of what, what Jesus is teaching us, that we are able to call God Father because of his life and love for us. God is our Father, not in a sense of procreation, but in the sense that God is the source and basis of our existence. The new covenant offered to us in Jesus Christ gives us a relationship with the source and basis of our existence. There is an analogy to be made with earthly fathers that is not connected to procreation. It's not connected to gender, but to a relationship of love and support. And the complex thing about gender and language of God is that God is also referred to with motherly analogies. Jesus is referred to with motherly analogies. Jesus calls himself a mother hen gathering her chickens together. There isn't a gender fluidity to God. There's, there's no gender to God. It's the wrong question to ask of our creator of all things. To, God, God, to call God Father is to name God as the source of our existence. That's really what Jesus is teaching his disciples to say. When we say our Father, we are referring to God as the source of our existence, the foundation, the very basis of prayer, which is what we're doing when we say our Father. And the R is important, not my Father. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, say, now repeat after me, my Father in heaven. No, our Father in heaven. It's about our connection to the source in whom we live and move and have our being. And all prayer is about the community of that connection, that relationship. With the words, our Father who art in heaven, we name, we claim that relationship which God offers to us through his Son, who became our brother. Christ has given us his Spirit so that we may enter into a familial relationship with his Father. That is the power that that Jesus offers to us, our Father in heaven. Now we move to the place in heaven, in the sky. Heaven is not a cosmological term in, in Greek. It's an astronomical term. It's just sky. It's the same word that people use for, for the sky. Our Father in the sky. And it's actually like Uranus is, is the word in Greek, which is the same root word of the planet um, Uranus that is also sometimes pronounced in different ways. And um, who was a, a, in the Greek uh, deity, the, a pantheon of that. But we're not talking about Uranus as, as the, the deity. We're talking about God who is in the sky, in, in the heavens. We're referring to our Father in heaven, not our Father in earth, our earthly Father. And I think the whole point of the location is to clarify who we are talking to. It's clarifying which father we are talking about when we pray. We're not praying to our uh, genetic or procreative father, but to the God beyond where we are. Beyond where we are. We're praying to the transcendent one. Hallowed be your name. That's the next line. 
In the standard King James translation, hallowed is a word we don't use anymore. As I said with, with the kids, it's like hallowed, you use it for Halloween or the Lord's Prayer in pretty much no other meanings. To hallow something is to make it sacred, to set it apart. And this is where we start getting to do with, getting to where we, what we're doing with prayer. It is setting apart who God is in God's name, setting apart our understanding of who God is in God's name. And we need to repeat it again and again and again. We cannot settle and think we've already made God's name holy enough. Oh, I did that, you know, three years ago I made God's name holy, I'm done. No, we, we, always, we always slip away. Our thinking and speaking and acting become holy when we cultivate holy habits by living in the company of the Spirit. That's what we have to do in prayer and in following God. And this is what Lent is for. This is what this season is for. We have a time of year set aside to cultivate holy habits, to do the things of God, to pray with intention, to serve with intention. As, as one of my teachers wrote, all prayer is about God. We, however, are often tempted to make ourselves the centerpiece of prayer. This temptation goes both ways. It happens sometimes with intercessory prayer. When our prayer to God is solely based on things we want, we turn prayer into our own desires. They might be good things we were asking God for, but it's still centered on us. Or on the opposite side, prayer solely as meditation or mindfulness. And in the contemporary world, many companies promote mindfulness in the workplace, not really for the betterment of people, but because they may think it makes workers a little more efficient if they take a little time for mindfulness. Kind of like when companies first started instituting lunch breaks and giving people a time to eat lunch, which has not always existed. And they're like, wait a minute, if we let them eat, they'll work harder. It's the same thing with, with mindfulness. But prayer is is neither about what we want external to ourselves or what we want internal to ourselves. From beginning to end, prayer is about God. Jesus begins prayer with God in a concrete way. There's nothing vague about the words of the Lord's prayer. Christian prayer takes a stand on the solid ground of the revealed word of God. It has nothing to do with, with vague or self-seeking vagaries. And so often, as well, prayer is something to do when we don't know what to do. When we are faced with tragedy, when life changes directions, Jesus also prays in these moments. We have examples of Jesus' prayers in hard times. He prays the night before he is arrested, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He prays from the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken he begins in the same way. To say Father in prayer is not simply a social convention that we, that we teach each other, but a declaration of relationship. We call to God in times of stress not to be a sky daddy far away and answer us like a genie in a bottle. Instead, God is our source, and in prayer we return to our source. We seek to align our will with God's will. And before that, before we can align our wills, we have to begin with God's name. Our Father in heaven, may your name be sacred. May your name be holy. May your name be venerated. The Lord's Prayer begins with our calling to God and seeking in God's name to be sanctified. And another way to look at it is to think that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's seeking to enter into God's vision for the world. What, that is what making God's name holy is about, entering into God's vision, God's vision for ourselves. What is God's vision for you? God's vision for the world, for us here, God's vision 
for the church. And in that, what is the name of God to you? I like to pray saying, Heavenly Father. I mean, it's literally, like, what is the first word when you pray? For a while, I said Father God because I was around a lot of people who said Father God when they started to pray. For most of us, the way we pray connects back to the people around us when we learned how to pray and what they were saying, and we appropriate that. It's in that connection of relationship. Most often, the language of our prayer, the language with which we refer to God, comes from where we come from when we learn to pray. And we must realize we don't learn to pray in a vacuum. There are people whom we heard, whom we model ourselves after. And so it matters what, what the name of God is to us, how we start our prayer. It also matters how we are making God's name holy. It is a powerful claim to call God Father. It is a powerful thing to sanctify God's name, to claim that you are doing that. What are the ways that you are sanctifying God's name? The Bible give us, gives us a lot of good ideas about things we can do, and this, as much as anything else, should help us understand that prayer is not a passive thing. This is what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Of course, we humans love to make things passive. When, when we're put into position to act, we love to, to maybe not act. Pass the buck a little bit. And Lent, at its best, though, is a time for us to slow down. Slow down and notice the messiness of this world. Over the next few weeks, we're going to slowly go through this prayer, these words of Jesus, to deepen our understanding of what prayer is, but also what God's vision is for us. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. God calls us out of our own lives into the messiness of the world, the messiness of the church. Churches have always been messy places from the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 3. We have Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, the church starts infighting right away. They got barely a week of everything going together, and then they start picking and choosing sides and moving apart. If we think we can worship God apart from others, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're better than them and that we can rest secure in our salvation apart from other people. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in community, and Lent can be a time for us to remember that. It's a time to slow down and remember where we are in our connection to God, our relationship to the source, and who in who we live and move and have our being. It is a time to prepare ourselves for Easter, to prepare ourselves for the future. And may this prayer, my brothers and sisters, may this prayer that Jesus taught be a little stranger to you this day. May it lead you, though, closer to God's vision. May you see that in praying as Jesus taught, we can be the people that Jesus called. Let us pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Heavenly Father. You are our source, the giver of life. May we honor your name. May we sanctify your name in all we do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.